Hello everyone, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. We share cool topics with cool people. We have great conversations and you get to listen in. I love doing this because I love having the conversations. And what's really awesome is that you get to just listen in. So uh, welcome, glad you're here. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Winders, coming to you as I usually do from the passenger seat of the RV. And uh, currently in nice, warm, sunny, toasty Southern Utah and uh, about to be traveling though. So uh, I'll be giving you updates from our travels along the way. One thing I wanna ask you to do before we get started with our guest here, I'll get to him in just a moment. And you're going to want to listen in on this podcast today because we're going to be having great conversation about overcoming adversity. But uh, one thing I want to mention to you, make sure you continue the conversation, not just as we're having our, our interview here, but afterwards. You can do that in all the places. You can go to our social media channels. You can go to Twitter. You can go to Facebook. You can go to Instagram. We're even now posting things on TikTok, and uh, and we're definitely on YouTube, and also all the podcast uh, podcast hosting areas. But what you really want to do is make sure you go to seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com, and each episode we have extensive notes with resources and links that will help you out. We pull quotes from the episodes. So if you're listening to this after the podcast releases, make sure you go to the page for this episode. And then go down to the bottom and add some comments, uh, have some dialogue with us, converse with us. Keep the conversation going is what we like to say. So make sure that you do that. And if you haven't gotten us your best email address, there's probably a bar up top that'll ask you for your email address just to keep get bonus content and stay in contact. Make sure you do that. Just give us your, your email address and we will... Let you know what's going on. We won't blast your email inbox, but we'll keep you updated on what's going on. Today, we have Christopher Greco as our guest. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Retail Software Solutions Group, headquartered in Kansas City. His career spans 20 plus years across Fortune 100 companies and startups, successfully scaling growth in almost every position that he has held. He graduated from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C was a White House intern. He achieved his MBA at Florida International University, which was his stepping stone to leading his successful career in business. He's got a book out that we're gonna be discussing. He's had a fantastic, uh, interesting, challenging at times life that we're gonna be discussing. He's also competed in four triathlons. That's impressive. Christopher, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. Thanks, Tim, good to be here. Quick correction to on the uh, I actually was named CEO of RSSG in November. Ah, okay. So, Congratulations. Um, so thank you. Some good news there. Yeah, joined as chief revenue officer and then uh, um, I was named in November. So yeah, very very exciting, very exciting stuff. Unexpected. Excellent, excellent. So we may have gotten an older bio there. Well, congratulations. It's good it's to okay. know that things are great. Things are going on. So, Christopher, the first question I love to ask, and the audience knows this, and I gave you a little bit of prep on it, but uh, and you may have given a little glimpse into it just then with that correction there. But if we bump into each other somewhere, we're out and about, we're at an event or doing something, and you and I are chatting, and I just ask the question, Christopher, what do you do? What do you typically yep. tell people? I hope you realize that your best days are ahead of you. Mm. That's good. And what does that mean for people? So sometimes we get, um, you know, stuck. We let uh, little things, uh, things that um, that get in our way, kind of define us for longer than a day, which they shouldn't. Right? We, we, you know, everything, no matter how bad it is. Um, will pass. And I think that a lot of people uh, struggle with that, which was really was one of the um, uh, impetuses to writing, uh, the second impetus to writing my book. The first, I wanted to leave a, a something for my my two children to read when they hit their walls. Um, but yeah, we I think people get stuck. And I really believe that uh, there's nothing greater than the potential, than, uh, than human potential. Mm -hmm. And um, I want people to understand and, and realize that. Sure. So, all right, I, w I wasn't going to dive in immediately on this, but because you opened it up, we're going to okay. go ahead and go straight down this path. Yep. And what's the biggest thing that keeps people 
from from achieving those best days. You mentioned it briefly there, but let's let's go on down it because I know the the book is related to adversity, and we're going to talk more about it later. But um, but what are some things that you observe that can keep people from living those best days? At a high level, it's just themselves. I mean, the majority of it is that really is themselves and how they view their their set of problems or, or their circumstances. You know, it's in a, a good friend told me that if you put, you know, five, six people in a room, you know, everybody write down their problem and throw them in the middle, you know, in the center on uh, each person grabbed and read the other person's problem, you're likely to take your own problem back. Mm. And people have to people have to realize that that almost almost everything, almost everything is insurmountable. And I get I'm amazed every day at people who uh who you know are dealt are dealt with a very uh heavy hand of you know of circumstances that would seem insurmountable the way they address it is just inspiring um and i think that the more the the more people that realize that that find and seek those people i think that that i'm one of one of them um the better off they'll be the better off they'll be able to manage their own circumstance whether no, no matter where they are uh in their lives Sure. One of the things, I think I wrote this somewhere. I've got some of my notes in front of me. And just so you know, if I'm looking over to the left here, I'm taking notes as we're discussing here. Yeah, so good. so one of the things that I, that I wrote down as I read the book and I was going through your eight steps and the other things that you had in there, and it's just perplexing to me in the world that we're in, the way people... Well, we've got this odd social media culture. I'll just go ahead and say it this way, where it's very difficult at times to understand what people are going through. Do you believe that everyone has to face some form of adversity along the way? I don't want them to, but the answer, it, it, look, I'll, let me just say this. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Mm. Ease is a greater threat to progress and hardship. And, and I think that, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that, and I had this discussion with my, my 14 year old son just the other day. I don't want to say that people should not go through adversity, but when you do and you come out on the other side, you are, you are better, better off for it. And yes, I think that people can, can find challenges, right? I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have no business. I'm not built to do a, to run, to, to, you know, swim a mile and a half bike 55 miles and run 13 miles in under six, in under six hours. It's a challenge, right? Um, I chose that challenge. Other challenges choose you. And I think that we have to uh, embrace them because that is really the only way we grow when we do things that seem, you know, at first glance insurmountable. Yeah. And all right. So I want to go down there and, and, and listen, I want to let the listener know there is a, a, a great story I don't know if great's the right word. It's a, it's, it's a story that reflects this that you have that you discuss in the book, and we'll get to it uh, shortly yep. about something you went through with your family. But you brought up your 14-year-old, and it, it kind of my mind just kind of went in a tangent for a brief moment about how we are raising our children now. And I notice it because I've got a grandchild. We just went and spent the weekend with our wow. granddaughter. Your young grand, young grandfather. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, we're I'm 57. I look maybe maybe don't look at it. Whatever, but um, but one of the things I noticed is she's 13 months old and she's toddling around, and she toddles around, and of course she kind of does the the weird waddle walk, and then will plop down on her bottom, and and so my wife and I took her out on a walk, went to the park, and all that, and we had this tendency to jump down every time she wobbled to keep her from falling. And it got me thinking exactly about this topic. You said you were having this conversation with your 14 year old. You were roughly that age when you went through an extremely difficult challenge that we'll talk about in just a few moments. But how do we prepare people or the next generation, our children, grandchildren, whatever, to deal with adversity short of just going through the issues that you went through. How are you doing it with your children? I mean, I know we're not, you know, does that make sense? That question? Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, on the one hand, at hard hard as it is, 
you kind of you have you have to let them 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 fall um mm. uh you know let them experience let them experience let them experience you know a, you know rejection a little amount of pain um uh, and i'm not saying in the in the in the physical sense right um uh you know i always tell my 14 year old there's no such i don't believe in participation trophies right there there are people who come out ahead and those who don't i also don't believe in playing victim i i think that you you're you're go i thought you were going there tim before we were talking about our our our, our facebook instagram twitter society but <clears throat> there's too many people playing victim i mean grow up get to work and and you, you have a dream protect it go after it don't 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 stop don't blame the things around you that's that's a theme that's one of the steps in the you know in, you know in the book um uh and i you know develop a self-sufficient mindset and i think that uh you know going back to your 18 month year old and my 14 year old i think you have to it's a matter of of teaching them and and maybe you have you'll you'll be at one point you know when your four your 18 month year old is old enough you'll tell them maybe a, a, an adversity story you have or your or your wife has or or a friend, I think. So I share these stories um, with my son constantly. When he looks at like an athlete, he's a hockey player. I research it. Well, what, did, what, what was Wayne Gretzky's background, right? My, you know, Michael, what did Michael Phelps do to become the greatest Olympian of all time, right? The people, the, the kid, these kids see the game day. They don't see the training days and what they had to overcome to get there. So in absence of them experiencing their own, you know, adversity, and it'll happen. I don't think anybody can escape it uh, one way or the other. I, I don't know anybody who's not de- who who had who is not or has dealt uh, has not dealt with something uh, that is that has been difficult, you know, in, you know, in the past. <laughs> so I share those stories with uh, with I, I taught a high school class recently. My, you know, my kids, his his uh, my son's friends, and they, they become better off for it because I think they they it makes them think differently. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about it, I was just thinking as you were saying that one of the things that we did, I'll just, you know, with our granddaughter is I would allow, this is the way my wife and I play off each other. I would allow her to plop down on her bottom. My wife was trying to scoop her up. One thing I didn't do is I didn't put her at the top of the monkey bars at, you know, the age that she's at and say, hang on and, you know, learn how to fall, learn how to learn how to deal with it. And uh, so I do think that as a leader, and we're going to talk about your your leadership role in the companies you're in, company you're in now, uh, because I think all this relates to all areas of life. But the 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 trigger, and I'm not going to forget about the victim or victor because I did have that written down in my notes, victim or victor here. But I wanted to circle back to it later. But when you said yep. ease, uh, it, it just kind of it kind of made me go down that path, especially when you brought it down, because everything about it, our culture seems to want to make things easy for people. I think our government, our society, our structure, our parents, all of that. But yet, I love what you said. We all have to go through something. And I'm wondering at times if we're just kicking the can down the road, because I know for myself, I mean, I went through challenges, not like yours at the time that you did as a teenager. My wife actually did. Her parents went through things. Mother attempted suicide at a teenage, when she was a teenager, just, and I think a lot of people go through stuff. My big hurdle was later in life with a business failure that I would not wish it on anyone, but yep. I'm, a, I'm a better person because of it. And I, I think that's the tough thing about this topic um what are your thoughts i think uh, so it, as it relates to this you know making things easy that doesn't that doesn't help you does that doesn't help you grow i mean mm-hmm. if you if you take if you take the easiest opportunities i mean your your likeliness you, you, I, you let me say this if you take the easy road there's people who are going to take the hard road Right. Mm-hmm. You take the easy road, people taking a hard road. And I think the people taking a hard road are just going to are, are going to grow um, and they're going to grow. You know, they're going to learn. They're going to learn more and they're going to grow faster, faster than you. So the idea of making everything easy cripples us. Uh, you have to you have to you know take on, you know, take on challenges. And and again, uh, you know, adversity will find you. Um, whether you decide to take the challenge on challenges on or not, uh, that's just that's just life. Life isn't. You know, the life isn't necessarily fair, 
Um, but it's something that is some the challenges that life presents to you uh, should be embraced because you will get you apply yourself, you will get past it almost no matter no matter no matter the the, the circumstance. Yeah, that's good. I, I remember I, my brother who I who was really one of the heroes of you know of my book. Um, I remember when he you know he if you read his his story, he actually served three. Uh, tours in Afghanistan, three 15-month tours. He was a, uh, an attack helicopter pilot for one of those tours. And then uh, two other tours, he actually uh, did more uh, logistics, but he was in a forward base. Um, and he was actually, he was debating whether to stay or or, or quit, you know, or, or quit the army um, because it, be, it became so, so, so tough for him. And I remember it was just a matter of having a conversation about what are you looking to do? Do you, do you know, are you, are you, what is the reason why you're quitting? And it came down because it was hard. Mm. That's never a good reason. That's never a good reason, especially when his goals was to become a pilot, serve his country um, and have a, and, and take that experience into the private sector, which he's successfully doing now. And he thanks me um, every day, you know, for, you know, for having that conversation, I think maybe not for the, for the last tour they did, but nevertheless, um, uh, he's, he's done, he's accomplished more than I'll ever accomplish, you know, in life, given, uh, uh, given that he, that what he was up against and the decisions, uh, he, uh, he, he made with, uh, with, with bravery. Yeah. It sounds like a, a good big brother kick in the backside is kind of what you did there. Possibly. I'm sure you did it with love, okay. right? Totally, totally. <laughs> he's, my, he's my hero. Very good. All right. And in just a moment, I, I want us to really dive into, you know, the eight steps to overcoming everyday adversity, the book. But before I do that, Christopher, we have, we've got a lot of leaders, a lot of business people. We've actually had a lot of people in ministry also that are in leadership roles that listen in. And so I think it would be valuable, especially with, you know, one of the things that you mentioned right when we started is for us to go ahead and apply some of these skills, lessons, whatever we want to call them in the business world, because you say you're now the CEO of this startup. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've done, you've had a lot of different roles in business. You've generated this number I have, it could be more now over 400 million in value over your career. Let's talk about adversity but let's talk about what you've pulled from it in the business world, specifically business sure. and leadership roles. And then what we're going to do is we're going to circle back. I'm going to have you tell the story of the book. So I'm just giving the listener and you a little bit of our roadmap. But let's talk business first. Share with us some lessons that you have brought into the roles that you filled in, in companies and corporations. Sure. Well, I can give you a present day lesson that um, that was imparted upon me. If you look at the industry we, we serve, so our, uh, my company, Retail Software Solutions Group, uh, we, we basically help uh, independent retailers uh, uh, thrive. And these independent retailers, your smaller, you know, hometown, you know, grocers, they have, you know, from your single store uh, shop all the way to uh, multi-billion dollar operations of 100 stores or more. The, when you look at the past year and the fact how they had to, what they had to deal with, right, they're... The, all the workers showed up, right? And they didn't have the PPE equipment. Um, they were they were lacking, some were lacking inventory. They found a way to get to get stuff, you know, on their shelves. There's a story of, of, a, of a grocer, um, the owner got sick. Um, the trucks were coming. He had no, he had, it was just him and his wife. His wife was taking care of him. He had no one to go ahead and, you know, stock the shelves. I don't want to go into the, you know, the eight different hats a, gro a grocer will wear, but, the, the, the town, the, the people in the town showed up to stock the, the, the stock, the shelves. And so the, my point is, is that um, when you, you, you can always find a way to overcome whatever hardship is, is, is in front of you. And one of the greatest lessons that I always say is that you want to overcome your personal hardship, whoever's against you, help the person next to you. There's something magical when you do that because it, it almost validates you, right? The same way my company is helping these independent grocers, you know, thrive. And we get a ton of satisfaction to see the fact that we're able to we're able to go ahead 
and help them become more profitable while maintaining prices for consumers. Sorry for the for the little ad plug, but what we're doing is 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 our software does amazing amazing things for for retailers and the consumers buying these goods. Uh, but with that said, the the it's amazing to to watch what, what happens when somebody who is struggling actually puts their own personal struggles aside and says when they see an opportunity to help somebody, they do it, and they don't they don't um, they don't sit in with a you know woe is me uh, syndrome. And I think that's 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 important. So that's a present day that's a present day example. The other the other example I'll give and kind of the reason why I love these startups is that startups are so hard. They're so, so hard. I mean, we're we're 20 people. Uh, we're not a big corporation. Everybody needs to show up every day. And I mean, sh- not just physically show up, just show up and 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 get and get done what needs to get done. And and we can't afford really even one person for n- not pulling their weight. And but 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 every their people right so they have their own hardships that they might deal with at home that are outside of the, the the office and i think that one of the things i bring is hey tomorrow's a better day right let 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 let's let's work through what's going on today let's let, let let's let me let me help you but tomorrow's a better day and your best days are, are you know are ahead of you and i think that um in a startup it just gets that's important because uh, it's a it's a game of minimizing mistakes. A corporation can make a ton of mistakes, right? They're, they have hundreds of millions and billions of dollars and and thousands, hundreds and thousands of employees. We don't. So it, it kind of it's a really good fit for me. It's a challenge that I really uh, wake up, you know, at four thirty five a.m. every day, uh, embracing. You know, it's interesting. You brought up a point, and I I, I knew this, but you saying it just uh, I guess emphasized it even more that there is no room for dead weight within a startup. That's my words. I, I didn't, that's not exactly what you said, but I've worked, I've worked in a large corporation right when I came out of Georgia Tech in, in college. And I looked around and I often thought to myself, what do these people do here? <laughs> you know, there were, they were just people that were there. Yeah. And in many ways, I think they hindered the advancement of what the company's mission was versus helped it. But in startup mode, everybody's rowing, everybody's got to be in that boat and going at it. And so I appreciate you saying that, which kind of leads to a question. We're, we're recording this in, I guess, late winter, spring of 2021. And uh, the actual video and podcast might be released, you know, later spring, early summer. But at the time of recording this, we are coming up on the 12 month mark of what was a worldwide pandemic major impact on, I know, your clients, probably your business. And many would say that they may not have seen that type of adversity in their lives. Talk about organizations and businesses dealing with adversity, because, you know, we, we're going to talk about your book, and that's really focused on the individual, which organizations are made up individuals. But, but you know what, we saw restaurants and like you said your independent grocers and others that had to deal with it so give us some things that you observed that people did well and they didn't do well over the last 12 plus months yeah um uh, so the way i would answer is is a couple in a couple ways tim i think it's a great question i will always i will always bet on my people Hmm. i will always bet on my people what happened in cities, you know, governors, mayors, politicians, they didn't bet on their people. They said, I know what's best for you. And, 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 and you, we don't, we don't. And so I think that when, you know, the, I remember, I remember I was, uh, I was actually on spring break when, when the whole shutdown happened, it was like, boom, you know, we're, it was 4 PM. We're having a grand old time and 6 PM, everything, everything where we were was completely, completely shut down and it's it's just swing to the extreme um and i just don't think that was you know that 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 was right um i don't think that people really understand how to deal how to how to write let's call it the the, gov- the governments didn't understand how to write or or run uh, a policy on dealing with adversity Mm-mm. let's just say that right right there's a, there, you know, there, there, there's a policy, right? I, I remember going back to my book, um, 
because the politics, they weren't transparent about what was happening. If you, when you're transparent, you give people the information and let them decide how to manage it, right? And some people watching this might say, oh, that's so extreme. There's all these, I, you know, it's I, pretty, I can, it's I, controver- yeah. It is controversial. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be, but it is, right? I could, you can run data. You can run data on, on states and regions. I mean, I was, I was in, I was in, I, I go to rural parts of the country. I, and they're run very, very differently than, than, you know, than the cities. People say, oh, well, there's better social distancing, fine. My point is, is that, is that um, it, you, it was a, it was, the response was very myopic. Uh, it was stop COVID at all costs. And I don't think that, um, that uh, we came out on the better side of that. I think there'll be a lot of lessons learned. Yeah. And I, you know, listen, it's unfortunate that this is so controversial because uh, from the way you're speaking, I could tell you and I have very similar views about this. I believe that people need to have some personal responsibility. Give them the information. Yep. Listen, there's a virus. There's really a virus out here and it really is causing some damage. But, yep. um, you know, and at the time of doing this, there are a number of states. I, I don't think it's going to end. I think that there's going to be some areas that still are in the mode of removing the uh, the adversity from people or attempting to, but not doing it well. And then others are going to say, it's going back to that, what we brought up earlier with your 14-year-old is, you know, they're trying to make it easy. We're trying to make this go away. We're doing all of these things. And I do believe that there's going to be long-term repercussions about it. Something that just jumped to my mind, and I'm going to get your thoughts on it and uh, just see what you think. I I wonder if it has a difference. There's the, the difference is perceiving people as victors or victims. The ones that look at everyone as victims treat people a certain way. And the ones that think people have their victors look at another way. Does it, is, am I applying that correctly? What are your thoughts? Well, you're taught, well, the way you look at it is defined by whether you see the potential in humans or you don't. Yes. That is that simple. It is that simple. And, it, you know, again, your listeners will, they might debate this, but I, if you believe in the true potential of human, you will let them run unfettered and you will give them just the amount of support that's, that's needed and not, and not get, and not overburden them with too much support where you actually crush their spirit uh, and, and, and make them choose the, all this great support that I'm having versus let me go out on my own and make something, you know, of, you know, of myself. There's not enough people who are, who are, who are, who are delivering that type of vision. It's, it's, it's not that, that you have this potential inside of you. You can get, you can get over it, whether it's an individual or organization. Right. And I think that's, I, I, it's something that I think that I credit, uh, you know, my parents and then after my father passed, you know, my mother, where she, she always said, always, you can do anything. You can do anything you put your mind to, right? She over-indexed. She was mom over-indexed. We could do almost anything. I think I put in the book, right? I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna um, uh, be able to score against a professional basketball player ever, ever. They can spot me 60 points. The score will be 120 to zero. Okay. With that said, there are things that we can accomplish, and we can have a you know a, a, a great life, realizing our abilities and applying them. But I think that going back to your victim versus victor, uh, I think that we are. If you if you were to if you were to look at our 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 society, maybe just even ten years ago, on the we are, we are on the victor side, and I think that the the, communi- the what's being communicated um, uh, is now moving more towards the victim side, um, and I think that's very that's very dangerous. It weakens us. Uh, as a society, and that permeates down through, you know, our institutions, and it sets expectations for, especially for young people coming out of schools, apply, you know, finding their, for, you know, finding their 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 next stage in life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, think about how many entrepreneurial entrepreneurs out there that you might crush um, by preaching that garbage, right? So, you know, I like to think that we need to do a better job of, of believing in, in, in the potential of humans, the potential of organizations, let them run unfettered, trust them that they know uh, what they're doing, give them the support when they ask for it. 
Hmm. Give them support when, and then sometimes you might need you might need to do it when they don't know, right? Um, that's okay, but you can't be you can't overburden them because you basically crush uh, that spirit and their ability to to learn and grow. Yeah, and that, all right, so that is so good because there was something that I wanted to discuss later that's within the book that I'm going to go ahead and pull it up to to now because I think it relates. You actually referenced uh, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, within your book, uh, Eight Steps to Overcoming Everyday Adversity, which is kind of a foundational book in what I do with coaching and strategic coaching for executive teams and leaders, because I really, I don't think we need to group people. We have to be careful identifying groups like rich, poor, color, you know, male, female, all of that. But mentally, I look at people as having a fixed or a growth mindset. And so as you were talking about Victor, victim or Victor and talking about the structure we're in, I all of a sudden started thinking about that fixed or growth mindset because it relates to this one topic that we're discussing in that are we dealing with people that are fixed? Are we dealing with them that are growth? Am I tying those together okay? That you are. I mean, the I can tell you that um, I we've already in in the training is part of the DNA of our company. We're always we're always training, right? So when so we're ready for ready you know, on game day. And one of the one of the precepts in her book uh, on the growth mindset side, the the person who has a growth mindset celebrates celebrates the success mm. of others. Celebrates success of others. And I think the fixed mind, I know the fixed mindset, it's, it's almost an envy of other success and that's, and that's not healthy. So yes, you're looking at it correctly. And I would, I would say your assessment is correct in the fact that I, society might be more on to the fixed side uh, versus focusing on, focusing on growth. Yeah. Um, I, and I think it's something that, you know, growth mindset, I, I read that book a decade ago and and I actually passed it, passed the the principles on it to my son, so he knows that he can get after everything. Yeah, and and it kind of just like you were saying, it kind of goes into that victim. A victim doesn't believe they can change. They don't believe they can grow or do anything. They are that victim, and probably in all likelihood, that's the big conflict that we're dealing with in our society and culture in our first world. We could go yep. down that path even more, but what I want to do is I want to begin moving into some of the discussion of the overcoming everyday adversity that you that you lay out in your book. But above all else, Christopher, I believe we need to lay a foundation for really in many ways the story that the book revolves around to me. It's the story of, uh, you know, a childhood event that occurred for you. And I don't want to take away from the book. I think people need to read it. I loved the, the succinctness of it and, and, and all the things covered, but let's back up and let's talk about uh, you growing up in Miami and, and just kind of go over the situation that was a catalyst. I think people go through these in their lives multiple, many times, but this was a catalyst and a big catalytic event for you. So tell us about it. I, I want to hear it in your own words. And then we're going to cover a couple of the eight steps uh, from the book, if that's okay by you. Yep, sure. So the the event, so my father was uh, um, diagnosed uh, with, with esophageal cancer. Uh, and from diagnosis to his death was about uh, eight months. Uh, and as life would have it, uh, uh, I came home from a you know, from my very first football game, which my dad really pushed, and I was I was a good player, um, uh, and he would just wasn't well enough to see me for that first game. But when I came home, uh, he died about an hour later, and I was, you know, I was there. Uh, the, the, you know, I think the the writer that I partnered, I wrote the book, but I had needed a professional writer to make this really bring the story out. So Fern Pesson, if I hope she sees this podcast, she was a phenomenal, phenomenal writing partner. And she really helped uh, shape the, you know, shape the story and kind of bring the readers into um, that day, September 20th, 20th, 1987, and what that was like, you know, for me and my mother and my four-year-old sister, uh, uh, who was there uh, when it happened. I, you know, I, I, I called, 
without going too much in the book, I watched my childhood priest uh, give my father his last rites. And then my brother came home and um, uh, we grieved together. And, and the next, uh, the next few months uh, was very, very tough. But uh, the, where, where God looked down on me and blessed me was with other men and women um, that really helped uh, my mother and helped uh, raise me uh, when my mother, when my mother, you know, was, was working or, you know, the, you know, occupied my free time, gave me lessons, was very bullish on, you know, on teaching and, and actually uh, kind of parenting as best they could. Um, so I was lucky to have that. Uh, um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but that really, that, that event, it, it just, it didn't never leaves you. I mean, I wrote this book what almost 32 years later. Uh, and that's really the, the fact I've thought about writing the book probably for a decade. And then you finally have to just sit down, put pen to paper four or 5 AM in the morning for four nights a week for about a year. And then you have something and say, okay, let me take it to a publisher. But that's that, that story. It, 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 it affects my mother today, and I know it affects my siblings today, but we're all successful and uh, we look at it, we look at it a challenging time in our lives that, uh, that we overcame and, that, and the lessons from, uh, from that event and how we responded after are represented, I think, fairly well in the book. Yeah, and I do want to give great praise for I guess the actual story, and I, you know, we hate to make light of the event, but we all know that there's certain ways that you can share, uh, you know, the details of an event, and you know, you and I think you mentioned Fern. I can't remember the name, but but she, y'all did a great job of telling that story. So I do want to praise you for that because I was instantly drawn in and intrigued and was and was just. Uh, enthralled by the story of it that I knew were actual events. I'm not making light of the actual events, but there's a, there's a few things that I want to ask about. And this, gosh, I hope this doesn't get a little bit weird here, but hopefully the listener will, will give respect for this conversation is, and I'm hopeful that I could respect, respectfully ask you were in the room as your father passed. And it was, you, you may have been somewhat aware that it was coming, but maybe we're denying it or something like that. I was in a room when my grandmother passed mm. and there is something that's so intriguing about being there when someone pass. I, I like the word pass instead of dies, but they pass from this realm to the other realm based on our spiritual beliefs. We'll talk about spiritual in just, just a moment, but, oh. but specifically witnessing that passing what can you share about that for, for possibly someone who's never seen that they may have fear of death. They may, it may scare yeah. them. Anything else? I mean, because for me, it actually was a, I say this really respectfully. It was a beautiful thing to see the mm -hmm. passing of my grandmother. She was well into her nineties, but anyway, does that question make sense? I mean, is it, it's kind of different that a lot of people don't witness that share what you can, it, Christopher. It does. It does. So I'll answer it this way. I think I was 15 years old and I, I was I was too uh, immature and maybe emotional to realize um, uh, what was going what was going on that. And what I realized today, which I realize, which I wish I realized more at that moment was that he, you know, he suffered tremendously. I mean, his his uh, uh, he it was a year ago he was running through an obstacle course uh beating all the other dads he was a, he was an athlete um mm -hmm. it was the and he was old he was an old dad he got married when he was 43 or watching 44. um but he you know it was, it's amazing how things can change just in a year um, but i was i was too immature what was going on but what i realize now is that his suffering was over um i knew that um after uh father ron gave him his last rites that he that that he was in heaven and um, I, I didn't realize that back then, but I realize it now and I do, you know, reflect on it. Um, I can tell you, um, that my mother and, you know, this is, it's one of the things I respect about her and people might say, well, why would a mother tell their 15 year old son this? It was like, it was probably in the, in the March or he was diagnosed in February. I think it was in the March or April timeframe. It was a short time thereafter where, and she was, she was an operating room nurse. 
uh, at she was in she, she you know and she was at, at a New York hospital that's where she got her primary training right in Manhattan and then we moved down to Miami uh she said to me she's like look your dad's not going to make it at Christmas mm-hmm. right I mean that, I'm like and I'm and so and I'm like why would she well you know at the time my maturity why would you tell me that well now looking back on it as an adult as an parent well she needed she needed to talk to someone and we had no family there I mean she had some some friends but she felt that she had to tell me and it actually prepared me for the day um, because I didn't, you know, I didn't expect it. I expected to come home and and tell my dad that, you know, I played, I played my first, my I played in my first, fo- you know, football game, and I did, you know, I did well. And it wasn't even an hour to where my mother, you know, started calling me in the room and, hey, this is, you know, say, you know, say, hey, say goodbye to your father. Hmm. I, and thank you for sharing that because the the value of having conversations that very few people experience certain things. And I know that's probably one of the reasons you wrote the book. I'll ask that in just a moment, but there's, there's kind of one other, I guess, maybe sensitive question. Uh, you know, you're very candid, so, sure. so it's not a big deal, but um, I, I really look at catalytic events and I've done it with myself a few times and I've asked myself, what would have happened, and this is just part of me trying to learn. I'm constantly in that growth mindset. I could tell you are too. So you may have had this thought, but you were 15 years old when this event occurred. Have you put any thought to what might have happened had you been 25 or had you been five or 45 uh, or any of those? How significant was 15-year-old Christopher experiencing this event? I, I don't know if it was any, if it, if, I don't know if it was more or less worse than experiencing it at another time in your life, right? You could, yeah. you could argue it both ways. When you're, when you're 15, you're impressionable. You're, you're, I think you start getting, you start getting your, 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 your legs uh, under you. Um, you're starting to grow into, in a, into being a, being, becoming a man. You're a young man becoming, in, uh, you know, becoming a man. Um, you're thinking about your future. Uh, and you want your parents to be a part of it, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that hit, um, you know, that hit, you know, pretty hard. So whether it, ha- I mean, maybe it's a quite, we, we have to do another show and we can bring my siblings on. You can get this perspective from 11, 11 and four, right? Um, uh, I think that, I think that the three, the fact that little, little changed, um, uh, from our di- from really from our day to day, and what I mean by that is that we did not. You know, you look at a fifteen year old. One of the things I thought about: Oh God, uh, we're not. I'm not going to be able to go to go to private school anymore because we can't afford it. No, my mom picked up a second shift at the hospital. She's like, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna crank through this, but here's how we're all going to get through it together. Christopher, here's what you have to do. John, you need to do, and we got to take care of you know your four year old sister because she's she's too she's too young. So very little, very little change there. And I think that was interesting to see that um, and remember that as a 15 year old, because I can tell you that my brother and I do share the fact that 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 experience really makes us look at, at problems and challenges differently that anything surmountable, right? Um, uh, but again, having having experienced it at, at any age, I can you can argue um, that there's really not it's it's really not more or less worse uh, no matter what the age when you lose when you lose a parent it's 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 tough yeah you know it's tough it'd be hard for me now i mean my you know i, I my, my father would have grandkids and why and, and and my and my son would realize what was going on and be in watching watching him uh uh you know break down if, if my father was still alive and he, and he passed i think that'd be tough for me to see so it's tough at any age yeah it's and, and listen it, it was probably kind of one of these odd questions, maybe because currently I'm dealing with my, my father who's in his eighties is dealing with dementia, cognitive issues, and really doesn't even know who I am and his great grandchildren, grandchildren, all that. So it's kind of an odd thing, but uh, I want to shift a little bit and ask the question as we go into the the book discussion, I, I think it was early on in the book or somewhere I read 
that you made the statement from a faith standpoint that you believe that God is good. And I wrote in my notes, this is not my belief, but I wanted to ask the question. I wrote God is good with a question mark because Mm -hmm. many people would have asked questions like you did at 15. And I think you referenced Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, stages of death book and you know yep. all those and all I'll, I'll let people go to the book and get yeah it's very, scientific. very scientific yes yeah very good so but yeah. but 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 from a faith standpoint you make the statement that god is good and there are some people listening in right now and christopher i want us to communicate directly to the person listening saying what kind of god would allow a 15 and an 11 and a four-year-old and you know a mother who's working to be robbed of their father uh, at that time, or or a fifteen year year old would ask the question and think maybe they were robbed of their teen years, or and we're kind of going back to the victim thing earlier. But respond to someone that's going through that line of thinking. Oh man, what a what a bad uh, deck of cards that he was dealt by God. Yeah, I'll answer it this way. It's it's not it's not up for us to to judge or decide that, right? I mean, we're, it's, it's part of, I, I've, you know, reconciled the fact that the things that happen are part of, of God's plan and we should, and, and yeah, we could, we could, I, it's not wrong to question it. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of God after my father died. Let me be clear on that. <laughs> I was not a fan. So you're not a fan. I love that. Not a fan of God. And you saw the priest come in. So what was, can, do you recall any of your, uh, I don't know, anger? What I mean, you know, what was your interaction with God during that yeah. time? I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I was, I was very, I was, I was very, I was very angry. My brother reminds me of that. He remember, he, he remembers how emotional and angry I was. He was, he's not an emotional guy. That's, that's why he can, that's why he's a pilot, right? He's, uh, he, he's very, you know, he's cold as ice, which is what you, how you want to be as, as a pilot. Um, but I was very emotional and I, I was angry at God. I stopped going to church and, um, uh, but you know, people pull you, pull you back in. And I think that I asked that same question that you just asked is like, it's like, if he's so good, then why is he making it so tough on me? It's like, it's not, you know, it's not yours to decide. It's not yours to question. Um, uh, keep your faith and understand that your bet your your best days are ahead of you because God has a plan for you, and that and that He rewards the, those who keep who keep the faith. And I trusted that advice, and it's and it's actually it's it's worked for me. Um, you know, you look at there. There's people who there's there's Catholics. I want you might know who I'm talking about, but there's a particular Catholic. He was a Catholic and now he's a self-proclaimed humanist. And you look at these humanists, nothing is bigger than them, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing's bigger than them. And I don't know how you go through life thinking that nothing is bigger than you. Right? That there can't be something that's in, you know, that that that's that's all encompassing, inspiring. And um, and I I've I've never thought that way. I, I knew there, I've always known there was a guy. I was angry at him and I, I ran away. I ran the, I ran in the opposite direction though, but I, but I came back and I think that's what, you know, that, you know, that's what matters. So, um, I, am I do what I, would I think, uh, if, so here's the question when I'm standing in front of them, when I say, Hey God, thank you for, for, for taking my dad, probably not, mm-hmm. probably not. I would thank him. I would thank him for give for, for, for guiding me and never leaving my shoulder and making sure that, um, and giving me the, the tools and the abilities and the, and the, and the, and the foresight to, to, to overcome it. That's what I would thank him for. And I would, and I would ask anybody else going through the same thing, going through their, their adversity to, you know, to do the same. Right. And I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, I, I went, it actually does. It's very good because everybody goes through stuff and I, I don't, my thing, thought process is, is it doesn't necessarily come from God, but he'll use it for good. That's, that's what I believe in a lot of these situations. We're in a world that just, there's stuff going on. So, uh, all right. I, I want to make sure I've got plenty of time to have some discussions yep. about the book here. So, uh, I'm watching our time here, but 
first, first question. All right. Again, I read the book here in the last uh, 36 hours, so it's pretty fresh in my mind, but I don't have it in front of me. So a lot of it I'm just trying to recall because it's actually on my yep. iPad that's being charged right now. But <laughs> eight, eight steps to overcoming everyday adversity. You mentioned yep. it earlier. 32 years from this event that occurred, you've lived a lot of life, you've succeeded, probably had some other struggles and adversity along the way, had your own children. Yeah. Why did you decide to write this book? I, I don't want to say all of a sudden, but yeah. why now? Why are you writing? Why'd you write the book now? I wanted to, I, primary reason, I wanted to leave something for Jonathan and Amanda, my 14 and 10 year old. That was, that was priority number one. Uh, I, you know, I think that they, they'll, there'll be a time in their lives where they'll pick it up and they'll read it. Right. I, I always thought that, um, there's really, I really didn't have any, any artifacts. I have, I have some things in my father's, but nothing, nothing like a book, right. Or a recording. I have some, I remember, I remember seeing him on a video. I have a short, like 20 second video clip of him. Uh, when I was 14 years old, it was about a year before he died. Not that that was, that was special. And I, you know, I kept it. My, you know, my uh, my best friend sent it to me, and so my impetus was to to leave something for my kids. And then I also the second reason, the second reason why I wrote it is it just I, I just scratched my head on why people seem to get stuck so easily, and they had the, you know adversity comes and and they're oh they're almost become paralyzed and they can't push past it. And so you know I said okay I have a story to tell. But the story isn't enough. What do let, let's think back and what are the what are the steps I took? I didn't say I need eight steps or five. I said what are the steps I took? Mm. And I you know I employed I I employed them one at a time, not necessarily uh, uh, um, you know consequentially, uh, not necessarily all together at once. But I did apply a step at some period in my life, and I still I still apply them, and I think that it was relevant. Um, to, to write a book that uh, was very direct, um, non-repetitive. It's short. The book is only 120 pages, right? It was an easy read. It, it probably, it, you can read it on a flight from San Francisco to, to Kansas City, which was my intent because I flew, I've flown that route, you know, probably over 200 times, you know, you know, helping scale a startup. But I wanted to have something again, a leave for my kids. And then if it made an impact on others, look, what, what a, a good friend of mine, he's actually wrote a testimony in the book, uh, Admiral Bill Owens. He actually was uh, um, the vice chair of the Joint Chiefs under, under President Bill Clinton. He and I have met years ago in Barcelona. Um, we shared a cab to the airport and we had a great conversation. I kept in touch with him uh, over the years. And then I just happened to send him, you know, a manuscript of my book said, hey, Bill, would you, would you just read it and give me feedback? Not only did I read it, he, he returned it. I read it in 24 hours and sent me an email. It says, Chris, if you're open to a testimonial, go ahead and use this. And I'm like, wow, a guy that's accomplished, right? Naval Academy grad, you know, served under, you know, was on the Joint Chiefs of Staff under, you know, President Bill Clinton, very well accomplished businessman as well. And, you know, I, and that was like validation that I, that I have something here. And so uh, I proceeded and, and published and, um, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to get some attention. It's slow, but it's starting to get some attention. So uh, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. And I think I'll look back at being one of the, one of the greatest accomplishments after marrying my wife and having my kids uh, in my life. Sure. So, so really, so there wasn't the eight steps as you started, you were really just reflecting back and seeing how you overcame that situation and others. Is that correct? Yep. It was the, it was the, it was a story. And I said, look, it, you know, what I went through there, I mean, there's people have overcome things much harder, much, much harder than I have. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of inspiration out there. I mean, you I mean the, the inches of inspiration are around us. You just got to know where to grab, look and, and, and grab it and, and understand it, internalize it and apply the, the lessons that, that, that you read or, or read or watch. So I started out with a story and then I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to provide, you know, some advice and I'm going to pay it forward because I've gotten great advice. Great. I've gotten such great advice that it would have been a sin if I did not provide 
if I did not provide advice on what I did to overcome my personal circumstance. Sure. Writing is a very interesting process. I've recently gone through it myself. And, yeah. and something that I'm intrigued by, I ask this with most people that are authors, maybe not all, but I'll go ahead and ask with you, what did you learn about yourself during the writing process of the book? And obviously you had achieved a, a good bit of overcoming this adversity, but specifically the book in writing it and putting the story down on paper, working with you, you know, an expert, a coach, I have, I've had a writing coach also. What'd you learn about yourself? That if I, if, if I make a decision, uh, if I, all I need to do is make a decision and apply myself and, and there'll be, and the results will follow. It's hard writing a book. I'm married. I was, tra I was traveling. Yeah. I mean, I when I started the book, I think in 20, 2018, yeah, late 2018, um, or yeah, late 2018. And then I, I started working with a publisher in 2019 and published in 2020, but I was, tra I was traveling. I, on a bad year over the seven years with the, with the startup, um, I was, I was traveling. I did 50, 60 flights a year. One year I did almost 90. So, and, and I would have to find time. It's not like you can write on a plane. You've got to be like in a very quiet area in solitude. And so I said, if I'm going to get this done, I need to get up a few hours ahead of everybody else. So I just made a commitment that I would just get up and aggravate my wife because she's a light sleeper. The alarm would go off. And then eventually I was able to start, you know, start, uh, um, start getting it myself. But, you know, I learned that I can, that I can apply myself. I learned that I have discipline. Uh, I learned that I have a story to tell. I've learned that I have uh, a good message that other people should hear. Um, I, you know, I learned that, um, that writing is very rewarding because it clarifies your thoughts. I think it's made me a better business person. Um, uh, I also think I also think that uh, um, you don't look for the reward for writing because if you're in it to sell books, then don't do it. Don't do it. It's so so. It's all it's a hard hard business. But if you look if if you're doing it for the right reasons, then do it. And the number one reason was writing it for my kids. Yeah. So do you consider this, is it a how-to or is it an autobiography? What would it be or both or a little bit of both? It's a, it, you know, I, I don't like hybrids, but it's a hybrid because I think, I, I think that you can't, you can't tell one, you can't tell one without the other. You have to have the story to talk about the eight steps, right? And you have to have the eight steps to really, to, to, to really, to really magnify the story, right? to apply the, to apply the lessons learned from this, from the story. So some people, and, and again, I like to try to get into the head a little bit of the listener because that, that's me. I'm one who's just yep. curious about it. Many times when someone sees something that says three steps, five steps, seven, eight, there's a, there's a slight tinge of cynicism that creeps in on me and says, huh, are there really eight easy steps? Is it that formulaic? So uh, I'll, I'll just kind of ask it that way. Is it really a formula? Is it just steps? Is it guidelines? What would you, I mean, you listed them as steps, but anyway, is that, yeah. a, is that a good question? You know what I mean by the question? They're like, cause you, cause you're, a, a cause you're a business guy, you know, you see a lot of books, you go through the airport, you see seven steps to this and five steps and do this and blah, blah, blah. So yep. respond to that because eight steps to overcoming kind of has someone saying, well, wow, it must be easy. Yep. So things always take longer and are harder than what they initially seem, right? Things always take longer and are harder than what they initially seem. So the eight steps is not one size fits all. If you, if someone were to take one step, just, just apply one of the steps, whether it's affirm, I'm not a victim, develop a self-sufficient mindset, Understand that prayer is the bridge between panic and peace, or is the gateway between panic and peace. Apply one of those. It's going to be a big leap. It's not a step. It's actually, it's a leap, I should say. I should say these eight leaps to overcome every day because of the feedback that I've gotten. But um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And I think that um, uh, it's, a, it's a good book to reference, to have as a reference. Um, but it's, it, it takes time to overcome whatever's troubling you. 
And I think this book is, is honest about that, but it is also, it is also evidence-based because these, the, these worked, the, these really worked. And I didn't realize it at the time. And I'm not necessarily, you need this book to overcome. You, you don't, you don't, you, whatever you're going through, you got it. You already have it inside of you. Maybe someone needs, maybe this book calls it out a little bit and helps you realize something that, that, that you didn't realize you had. So I hope that answers, answer your question. Is, again, it was a bit, bit longer, but yeah, again, yeah. it doesn't, um, it's not a one size fits all. No, that's good. And you also gave a few of the steps in there, which I appreciate. And there was one specific item that I want to ask as we're getting close to wrapping up here. I've got a few questions as we finish up. Yep. But you actually listed out some of the daily habits that you implemented. It looked like, or it seemed like it was shortly after your father had passed away. And you, yep. men you mentioned you swam multiple times a day and some other things like that. And the question that I had related to that, and you could talk briefly about which step that was, because I don't know that I wrote down which step I pulled that from. But the question that I had was, is there a is there a momentum that occurs when one starts overcoming? Because I think that I, I'm real big on momentum being an engineer, that we can kind of get momentum going in all directions. Did you notice momentum and and how important are the daily habits there? Talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah. So step four, establish a routine. Yes. Uh, what I would do, and I actually, um, I noticed that I start, I started writing my activities down and realized how many hours I had in the day, which was dead, doing, yeah, doing unproductive, uh, unproductive work. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I would, I, I found out that you know what, I could swim three hours a day, or for, excuse me, five days a week. I just got to get up a little bit earlier, right? Um, I, I, I could make time to rest. I could spend more time on homework and. And I, I and establishing a routine means write, you know, writing it down. And uh, as tactical as that seems, you develop a habit around it because you'll because when you're uh, at you you get to a point where you don't necessarily have to write it down, but you realize when you're idle, and you 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 find things to do that moves you forward, not just create busy work. My college roommates will laugh uh, telling you this, but my freshman year of college, I put up a schedule Monday through Sunday, right above my desk. I think it was like 6 a.m. to maybe 10, 9, 10 p.m. Everybody knew every hour of the day. And I would sometimes walk into my dorm room where people like talking about, some would laugh at it. Others would be like, wow, this is like, this is, this is great. I need, I need to do this, right? And the, the routine was, was important. I, I, I wish more, more young people actually, you know, wrote their, you know, had, had a schedule. I think they'd come out ahead. Yeah. And, and I, that was the first thought that I had in looking at it was just the momentum that you created. And I love it's funny in an environment that, you know, university setting where people should be establishing habits for success in life, where they're making yeah. fun of you for having habits. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I and, and they were, you know, I think they were they, you know, they were, of course, you know, joking. Some would be like some were like very serious about it. But, yeah, I think. Uh, establish a routine. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. I'm like, God, that's a step. That's an important step. Where, where, but where does it, you know, where does it fit? And actually, it's funny. People, people ask about that one pr uh, pretty frequently. Yeah. And I thought it was the one, I thought it was the simplest one to apply. Right. All you got to do is just write it, you know, time on the, on the Y axis is time X axis, the things, the activities go. That's it. Yeah. Well, they, they correct. Can, and so in, in leadership business and many of the conversations we have daily habits, routines, morning habits, all of those things come up as success principles yep. over and over again. So, uh, Christopher, you started this by saying that you help people realize that their best days are ahead of them. Yep. Is that what this book does? The feedback I've gotten, I've re, excuse me, that I've received would suggest that it does, uh, and I know, and I know that when when uh, when I look back on on how when on how I apply the eight steps, uh, I have been better on you know better because of it, that better by after having applying it than I was before. So, uh, I think you know I think it's like the, the thing is a pursuit. I don't know if you ever. 
do we ever achieve, you know, ever achieve it? But, you know, I, I've gotten that question quite a bit and I'll answer it like this is that what's the alternative to thinking any differently? What's the alternative? Is that a better alternative to not think that your best days are, and my mother's 83. She has the, she has dementia as well. She will still say to me, your best days are ahead of you. Are, and sometimes say, you know what? My, my best days are ahead of me. Though I don't know if that's true anymore, Christopher, is what she'll say. But, but yeah, my mother, oh, that's not my phrase. That's my mother's phrase, by the way. She would always say, she would always say that. And she would say it with such affirmation. You know, best days are ahead of with, and with the, with the, with the hand gestures and everything. Well, so, um, Again, I read the book and I would agree. I think that if people apply one, two, four, eight of the principles and are blessed by the story you told of your father passing and the impact it had, I, I believe that it will it will help people in that process of knowing that their best days are ahead. Christopher, I've enjoyed so much. I would love to dive into all eight, but we're going to leave that for the listener to go get the book. How can people yep. connect with you? Where can they find the book? Where can they find you? Give anything you want to here. Sure. We'll include it in the notes so people can find it. Yeah, there's a couple of ways. So you can go to my website, uh, ChristopherGreco.org. That's ChristopherGreco.org. Uh, you could also um, find me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, uh, com slash Chris Greco. Uh, and also you can find me, go to come to my company, which is very simple, rssg.com, rssg.com. And you can find me uh, uh, that, uh, that, that way as well. Yeah. Well, Christopher, I appreciate the conversation. I knew I would when I started looking through the book and reading us. I said, Christopher and I are going to have a great, great conversation. And before we started, you said, you could call me Chris. I said, no, I'm going to call you Christopher because I love <laughs> that name. So Christopher. So, hey, Christopher, we are Seek, Go, Create here. And those are those three words. Which one yep. of those words jumps out at you or resonates with you more, okay, more than go. the other two? Go. Yeah, I, 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 you know, that because the go is the action. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, well, you got, we got a plan. You got to go. You got to, you got you to run. You got to apply yourself. You got to take action. So see, go, create, go always would be, would be my, uh, would be my uh, number one out of those three words. Excellent. Christopher, thank you so much. I highly encourage you, if you're listening, to go get a copy of his book, connect with Christopher, stay in contact. And I want to thank you for listening in. Yeah, he's got a copy there. So check that out. I've got a digital copy myself. So what a great conversation. As we said at the beginning, if you've enjoyed this, continue the dialogue, jump to one of our social channels, to YouTube or the podcast platform, our website, seekgocreate.com. Continue the conversation. If you bring up a question or anything we need Christopher to get involved with, we'll bring him back in and answer your question. And also, thank you for listening in. I always appreciate you listening, sharing, following, subscribing. Next week, another great guest. We drop episodes every Monday. And until then, continue being all that you were created to be. Oh,